I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Thank you. You may recall from an earlier podcast, you mentioned the importance of conducting a thorough due diligence once you're in a position to start looking at purchasing sizable properties. Could you perhaps just recap the type of things you would be checking for? Well, historically, due diligence period or due diligence study was intended to principally look at the physical aspects of the property. In other words, just to make sure what you thought you had purchased, you had actually purchased. And we're talking about things like the structural integrity of the building, whether your plant and equipment is functioning properly, things like the hydraulics, the water uh, aspects, which has to do with fire sprinklers if they're there. Also, the mechanical items, such as the air conditioning, if it's a multi-storey building, the lifts, and just to make sure that the, the building as represented is as you thought it was and led to believe by both the vendor and the selling agent. So that's the essence or the underlying reason for taking out or spending the time to run through a due diligence study in relation to the property that you're considering to purchase. Is it merely the physical aspect of the property you need to investigate? No, the physical side of things is not all you look at. Clearly, that's the principal one, because if the building doesn't hang together as you thought it was, there's no point in proceeding. But the way I structure the due diligence clause that I include in in all the negotiations and the contract for my clients has a throwaway line buried in there that says, and any other considerations deemed appropriate as part of the due diligence study. So one of the things that obviously needs to be sorted out is the contract in detail. Now, while prior to signing it, the solicitor will have a cursory look at it to make sure that you know the, the contract has been properly drawn and there are no obvious impediments. However, during this due diligence period, that's when the heavy lifting is done by your lawyer to fully analyse and come up with any things that he or she feels that you can't really or shouldn't live with as far as the contract and try and have them negotiated out. The other thing is your finance. Now, again, with the finance brokers I use for my clients, what I generally do is is have a pretty firm indicative proposal before they actually finalise the commercial terms of the deal and and uh, sign off on it. But it's during that due diligence period that you firm up on some of the contractual terms of the finance and, and find out if there's anything untoward that, that's likely to emerge. You may not actually have the finance fully bedded down and signed off, but at least you will have all the the hard work, the grunt work done to make sure that you have a deal commercially. And and remember, 
you're the one organising the valuation. So you actually do control the the dialogue between yourself and the financier because they know that until they reach agreement with you, they don't have a deal. They just another financier in the mix bidding for your business. So the due diligence period is intended to having got your foot on the property, firmed up on the commercial terms of the deal, is to literally go through and tick off all the items that you've been led to believe A-OK. And my general view is, you know, I always say to the agent or the to the vendor through their agent, look, we believe everything the vendor's saying, we just want to reserve the right to check it out. And it's probably a good safety valve too because if the vendors balk at providing you with a a due diligence period after you've concluded the commercial terms, what they're effectively saying is that they know already that you're going to find something wrong with their property. Now, that doesn't happen often, but if they are upfront very cagey or, or hesitant about granting you a due diligence period, it's probably the number one warning sign to pull back and not try and do a deal with them. Or if you do particularly want or need the property, obviously negotiate a much sharper price so that you can build into the purchase price the cost of rectifying anything that you know comes out of left field once you find you've you purchase it. But that's not the best way to go. Most vendors believe, rightly or wrongly, that their properties are in great shape. So they therefore welcome, if the price is right and the deal is appropriate, the ability or offer you the ability to, to undertake your due diligence study. No doubt various issues will inevitably arise from time to time. How do you decide what your response should be? And then, what's the next step? I always use the same group to do my due diligence work. And I suggest if, that's for my clients, if you want to use them, by all means do. If not, make sure you have your team in place. And the reason I say that is because, not that there's unseemly haste, but you need to get the the feedback from the due diligence study very quickly. And the reason I say that is that, look, we we start out asking for 21 business days to do the study. Now, I always talk business days because it sounds shorter. 21 business days is actually 30 days, calendar days, when you take the weekends into account. So invariably, they'll cut you back and you might end up at 15 or 10 my group can actually do it in seven business days, and that's seven business days is is or even five business days is actually a week. That's very tight. I'd prefer ten, which is effectively two calendar weeks. So the idea is that once contracts have been exchanged, and generally you have a period where having finalised that the contracts are prepared, sent to your solicitor you may sign the contracts with your solicitor so you've done your part, but he or she will hold them until they resolve any minor issues, and some of them might be housekeeping ones, procedures and things like that within the contract. So you have a bit of notice of when exchange is going to take place, and that's 
the point from which your due diligence period, time period, commences. An exchange is when the vendor solicitor returns to your solicitor the executed contracts. So you have them lined up. Now, they go in either that day or the day after or whatever, but the arrangement I have with my team is that they will, within 24 at the worst 48 hours, come back to me with a effectively a one to one and a half A4 page email and it will literally go through the property and and in most cases it just tells me the property comes up smelling roses, everything's fine. It might flag a couple of issues, minor ones that they might relate to exit signs not working which generally will be picked up in the next essential services inspection which uh, if it's a strata title unit will be organised by the owners corporation you know, so the idea is that they come back very quickly so that you don't withhold information and keep it back for the last minute. Now, the thing is that you might find a couple of things that don't fall in your favour, but then you might find some that do. It might be when you went through, you the air conditioning was making a bit of a noise and assuming it's a standalone building, everyone knew about it, no one really wanted to address it. But on inspection, it it might simply be found that one of the uh, rubber mountings for the plant and equipment had perished and simply by replacing that, that overcame the problem. So it wasn't a mechanical problem, it was more just a, a mounting problem. And you can generally fix that you know, with a couple of hundred dollars at the, at the worst, rather than several thousand dollars that everyone might have been anticipating. So sometimes you find things that aren't minor but aren't in your favour, but you find you have wins along the way. So you've got to pick your fights and not necessarily go there with a long shopping list of things that are wrong. From your experience... How do most vendors react to legitimate issues you uncover as part of your due diligence study? There will be things that are not as they should be. And I remember one industrial property, there was the door jam, they're generally metal door jams there, had something must have hit it and the door didn't close properly. Now, for us to go and do it, and I get the due diligence guys to come back and say well that's an issue and it's going to cost I think it was about $700 or something to rectify so if they do come up with any legitimate problems or issues I generally get them to cost them at the same time now the idea is that I get them back in 48 hours even though we might have a week to 10 days to do our study if I can get that to the other agent it shows that we're not trying to wait till the last minute to put pressure on the vendor. We're coming up with a pretty detailed study. We've flagged a couple of items. We've worked out what it's going to cost. Now, if if it's a relatively new property and it's being purchased from the developer, developers have a certain pride. And in this case, there was no question. He said, no problem, leave it to me. That'll be fixed at settlement. So that, the contract was altered accordingly, and there were a couple of items. So for him to go with his tradespeople, that would cost him next to nothing, maybe maybe $150. 
Whereas if we've got to send someone down specially to rectify, well, certainly understand the problem, quote on it, rectify it, and come back, that's where it costs the $750, $800. So, as I said, you need to move relatively quickly, but respond and leave time to negotiate things. Now, if the, the vendor is not a developer, the simple solution is, and invariably they'll say, well, look, rather than us fix them, how about we adjust the contract price at, or the set at settlement so that it takes account of these items and you look after them yourselves? So the real benefit of the due diligence study is in effectively having a second bite at the cherry. In other words, you don't argue with a vendor prior to the negotiating the price because you're only going to antagonise the vendor if you do that. So you effectively say to them, as, as I mentioned before, yeah, look, we believe you, everything's fine. We just want to check after we've concluded the deal. Now, if they believe it's fine, they don't have a problem, as I said. So you can then come back and having done the deal, in their mind, the deal's done. So you come up with what effectively in the whole scheme of things are relatively minor items. Therefore, they are more than likely to simply say, don't worry, we'll adjust the price at settlement. And that's how most of these issues are resolved. Why do you feel you've had so much success with including a due diligence clause within the deals you negotiate for your clients? Well, it's nice of you to say that. And... What's interesting, and and we may have covered this or touched on it in an earlier podcast, is that when I make the initial offer, it's a formal offer in writing. Now, it might be sent via an email as an attachment, but it's a properly formatted letter. It looks professional, looks serious, and it paints you in a good light as far as the vendor's concerned because it's it's not just a verbal offer or, or a scrappy email. But it includes the scope of the due diligence clause. Now, as I said, in the offer, you've got a number of variables. You've got the price, the settlement terms. We we try and split the deposit initially to five on signing, five on completion of the due diligence, then the due diligence period. And so there are a number of variables, and the vendor can't help themselves. They go for price immediately, and then they look at the settlement terms, and, well, that's too long. And all oh, the due diligence period, and we're going to need to shorten that. So we've got all these balls in the air, and we're trying to negotiate them. So they actually pay little attention to the words or the scope of the due diligence clause or, or what we plan to do during that due diligence period. And so as it progresses, we might get back to telephone exchange or emails or whatever, but then when the deal is finally done, I revert back to that initial format and send it to them. And what I do is mark in red the changes that have occurred. So the price, the settlement period, the due diligence period, and so forth. So that they can they don't have to hunt through the whole document. Effectively, I'm saying, look, nothing's changed from the first proposal we put to you. I've highlighted the things you need to look at and confirm that they are as we have 
agreed finally. So my offer, effectively, final proposal, is confirmation of what's agreed, and I ask them at the end to sign off to say that's what they've agreed to. Now, given that they've been through the process, it's not new, this is not a surprise. This document, if I had left it till the very end, it could well be of a, of a surprise, and they might have thought, well, we've negotiated everything else, now we'll tackle the due diligence clause. But effectively, by putting it up at the outset and by them not saying anything, they are effectively saying at the end or agreeing at the end that all the commercial terms that they have accepted are on the basis of that due diligence clause being in the contract. So they have great difficulty coming back at the end and knocking it back. They feel they've done a great deal in trimming it back from 21 days to 15 or 10 business days. So that is what they look at. Now, the second reason that gets it agreed to that they'll grant the due diligence period, then the next stage is you've got to get the solicitor or the vendor solicitor to include that in the contract. Now, invariably, they're not used to that. So what I've briefed my solicitor, and we've spent a bit of time working it out, is a legal version of the layman's version that's in my purchase proposal. So he will talk to the other solicitor and say, look, to save you drafting up the due diligence clause, why don't I send you over the special condition? Lawyers being lazy, I don't mean that unkindly, but if someone else has drafted a clause for them, you know, particularly if, if it mirrors what was already agreed, they're not likely to, to want to alter it greatly. Well, they might alter a word here or there, but not the integrity of it. So if, as sometimes happens, a solicitor wants to grandstand, the vendor solicitor, grandstand in front of his client, he'll go back and say, sorry, not prepared to accept that clause. Well, it's not very difficult. I just ring the agent and say, well, I have a copy of the signed-off thing by your client, which I've sent to my solicitor on behalf of my client. The agent can go back to the vendor and say, listen, this deal is going to fall apart because your solicitor won't honour what you have agreed to. So then the vendor gets on the phone to his or her solicitor and says, now look, you know, don't muck this up. I've already done it. Here's a copy of what I've signed off on. So it serves several purposes. And what it means is that you don't have to run up a lot of costs before doing the deal, by doing a due diligence study, you can do that after you've exchanged contracts once you know that you own or control the property. Now, you still have the right, if you're not comfortable with the results of the due diligence study, and remember it said, or any other consideration you deem appropriate, if there's anything that comes out that you're not comfortable with, you can ask the vendor to either remedy it adjust the price accordingly, and if you're not comfortable with that, you can then withdraw. Now, you might say that's a bit one-sided, but listen, I'm acting for the purchaser of this. I'm not interested in the vendor. I'm not going to do anything illegal or immoral and put them at a disadvantage in that respect, but my duty is towards my client. So I structure the pieces. It's like a game of chess. You just have to corral the 
the king or the vendor in this case where you want them so that you can effectively win the game at the end. And so it's, you know, it's not overly um, complicated, but you just have to understand the thought process and the expectations of a vendor and accommodate them. Well, that all makes complete sense. However, it's always good to know the underlying psychology behind whatever you're doing. So thanks for providing us with those insights. Once again, it's been a pleasure.